0: Let us pray. Holy God, still in us any voice but your own, that we might hear your word for us this day. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Our gospel reading is from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 17, the story of the transfiguration And you'll recall that this follows Jesus foretelling his death and resurrection to the disciples. After he tells them that, which they are not happy to hear, the event of the transfiguration takes place. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings. Here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased, listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself, alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ryan was born to a woman unable to care for him. The state took custody, and he was brought home from the hospital by his adoptive parents. His adoptive mother gave me permission to share his story. From the start, he was a very irritable infant who cried continually, except for short periods of sleep, until a doctor placed him on a sedating medication to lengthen his sleep time and give his parents some rest. He would eventually be diagnosed with the severe neurobehavioral effects of fetal exposure to alcohol. It was soon evident that he had a mild intellectual disability and behavior control problems. This resulted in his being picked on by other children and misunderstood by adults. One example of many was this occasion. He was invited by neighborhood children to come play with them. He was very excited. When he got near to the house where the others had gathered, they ran into the garage and pulled down the garage door laughing. This was one of many episodes of rejection that he would experience throughout his life. His parents told me that he never fit in socially. And was frequently moved from one special education program to another. After leaving high school, he found a place in the working he, he never found a place in the working world, and survived on small amounts of disability income until his death, when he was in his mid 30s. So how do I know Ryan, and what does his life have to do with the transfiguration? I got to know him a little from talking to his parents in preparation for the honor of presiding over his funeral service. What I learned gave me new insight into what the Transfiguration event described in all three Synoptic Gospels might mean for you and for me. You see, the Transfiguration is about seeing the glory of God the light that emanates from God's presence. Before the transfiguration on the mountaintop, the disciples knew partially but not fully that God was present in Jesus. The challenge was whether they would be transformed by what they had seen in the transfiguration. And think about those times that you have had a transfiguration experience, those times when something has shown you the glory of God. How did it change the way you saw the world around you? If you were able to see the promised land where God's unconditional love claims all God's creatures, Perhaps you were able to hold on to that light in spite of signs of darkness around you. This was the challenge for the disciples. And this brings me back to Ryan. His life, as you can imagine, was a real struggle, plagued by many adverse events and circumstances, in spite of the amazing love of his parents and their great care for him. After he finished high school, he went out on his own. He existed in a world where poverty and drug use were the norm. Furthermore, his siblings had not experienced the issues that he had struggled with and were not part of this world into which he had drifted. One might predict that he would be angry and full of resentment, but that did not appear to be the case. He was, in fact, a caring and compassionate person who would constantly give away whatever material goods he might receive from friends and family. Indeed, he would give his own clothes to other people in need. He was, his parents observed, a religious person who loved Jesus. Let's look more closely again at the transfiguration. Whatever vision the disciples had on that mountaintop with Jesus, it enabled them for the first time to see and hear what had been around them all the time. Jesus was from God, and his words were from God. They now had the potential to see God's light in the ordinariness of their everyday life with Jesus. Recall that this vision occurs immediately following Jesus telling the disciples that he would suffer greatly and be killed by the authorities in Jerusalem. Moreover, he told them any who would be his disciples would have to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. When Peter, James, and John hear from God that Jesus speaks the truth, they are overcome by fear. They realize that whatever Jesus says and whatever Jesus commands comes directly from the one God who gives us life. Jesus immediately touches them and tells them not to be afraid. They are literally raised into new life but told not to talk about this vision of Jesus' glory until after his resurrection. Why would that be? I think it's because they and we need first to understand the glory of God in the crucifixion, the power of God holding his son in extreme suffering and death, before we cling to the image of resurrection glory. Transfiguration tells us who Jesus really is. The cross reveals the incognito activity of God, even when all seems lost. Tom Tom Long, who uses the term the incognito activity of God, and you can gather I like that term a lot, sees in the Transfiguration a metaphor for our faith development as disciples of Jesus Christ. Consider when you have had your Transfiguration experience. First, we may be dazzled by a vision of the holy. We may see it in nature or in church or in a museum or in a concert hall, uh, really anywhere at all. we suddenly appreciate that we are accepted, beloved, and held by God with all of creation. In that moment, we are able to see Christ present in all the people around us, and the interconnection of humanity becomes a reality, if only for that moment. This, I would suggest, is the Promised Land. We may, like Peter, want to find some way to preserve the vision, perhaps return to the same place where we had the experience in order to recapture it. We realize that in the real world there will be many temptations to accept only the world's values of self-sufficiency, independence and worth, measured by accomplishments and material goods. Then we begin to understand that Christian discipleship involves sacrifice. We may wonder, how can sacrificial living be avoided? Perhaps we can limit our discipleship exposure to the glory of Christmas and Easter. However, in three days we enter the period of Lent when we are reminded that sacrifice leading up to death on a cross reveals the real incognito activity of God. When all seemed lost, Jesus was raised, revealing the power of God over death and darkness, and we believe Jesus will come again. The power of the Holy Spirit can claim us in the present moment, but we must pay attention to that light shining in dark places. And this brings me back to Ryan. He believed that everything he received came from God. Because he believed that, he also believed that what he had was not just for him, but was to be given by those around him in need, to be shared with others. He lived in poor housing, and he held on to little that was given to him. He became skilled at dumpster diving. On one occasion, he dove into a dumpster near a McDonald's restaurant and retrieved 11 cheeseburgers. He told his mother about it, and she warned him that these cheeseburgers might make him sick. He reassured her, telling her they were all individually wrapped. (laughs) He distributed the food to people he knew were hungry. I wondered what motivated him to be so compassionate and caring about others when he had experienced so much rejection and pain in his life. His parents could not explain it, they simply observed it. But they also told me that Ryan would walk miles from where he lived to St. Anne Church, where he would, and I quote, hug Jesus. I presume that there's a statue there that he could hug. For Ryan, this was a transfiguration experience. He could see God's glory and experience God's love even when he was also experiencing the deprivation of life in poverty and in a world with which few, if any of us, have any contact at all. I'm convinced that God needed a disciple in Ryan's world, and Ryan was it. When he died, I believe Ryan received a hug from Jesus, whose command to love he had worked so hard to obey. In the passage from 2 Peter that you heard Ben Baker read, the writer reminds us that the experience of God's glory manifest in Jesus is like a lamp shining in dark places. If we accept that this darkness in the world is not simply personal disappointment, but something far more pernicious, we must not only seek to be attentive to Jesus commands but also recognize, call out and resist evidences of darkness. Listen to Jesus. Listening to Jesus as God commanded carries ethical obligations and risks. It's worth hearing again the words of Martin Luther King Jr. the day before he was assassinated. He said this about his transfiguration experience. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter for me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord." Dr. King was willing to take his vision of Christ's coming to lift people out of darkness and come down the mountain to face the darkness, even at the cost of his own life. He kept his eye attentive to the light of Christ shining in every dark place. Well, we may not have the humble compassion of Ryan or the courageous and visionary love of Martin Luther King, Jr., but we are all asked to be attentive to the prophetic message of Jesus that selfless, sacrificial love is always victorious over darkness. And Jesus will come again to judge our efforts as his disciples. We must take our transfiguration experiences of God's glory in whatever form they manifest and allow ourselves to be transformed by Him, by them. We then find ourselves renewed to be faithful disciples who demonstrate God's love in every place. I pray that we will all experience transfiguration moments when we see the glory of Christ in the ordinariness of everyday life and are transformed by what we see. Amen.